after the Ramona coaster of 2022, I'm ready for a new beginning with true faith. Who needs New Year's resolutions when you're already perfect, honey? <laughs> I mean, are you lying? I don't think so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Happy New Year, Sarah Galley. Oh, my God. Happy New Year, Brian Moylan. I, it has been, you guys, it's Andy's Girls, this episode, whatever, we're in a new year. It feels like it has been a minute since you've been on the people's people's couch via Zoom. So I'm so excited. But you know what? I should probably introduce you before we start this very, very deep dive. Okay, I'm say. ready for deep Lots dives and introductions. I, you know, I love these most of all. Listen, you guys, big surprise if you haven't seen um, the name of the person on the episode description and also the fact that I absolutely did just mention his name in full. <laughs> but you know this person, my love, as the founder and president of the Real Housewives Institute, as the author of the New York Times best-selling tome, The Housewives, The Real Story Behind the Real Housewives, which lives in the clothes underneath the hand drawing of Ursula by Crystal's husband, Rob Minkoff. It's on display, on display, on display each and every day. It's all every I've ever day. wanted. Every day. Welcome back to Andy's Girls, Dame Brian Moylan. Dame. Oh my God, Dame. It's a Dame party. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. The last time I was here was just after BravoCon, I think. Oh, was it? Did we do a post-BravoCon episode? I, I should we... remember. I really don't. That's I think we might have. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can literally never say no to you. You always, you know... Mm -hmm ask for things, never any bad things, <laughs> never overstepping. I'm not saying that. No, I overstep every day. And, but every I'm day, still always day. like, if Sarah's asking, sure, why not? How can I say no? You truly have never said no. And I've come in, I've flown close to the sun. <laughs> like, can we record in like five seconds? You have no notice, but an abundance of skill in Aww. which to make gorgeous episodes happen. So I'm so appreciative for you being back. And also, so typically we're doing a little Zoom Zoom where I'm in New York, you're in London, and you happen to be in La La Land right now. I am. I'm in Los Angeles. I have been, so they opened a new pool in West Hollywood where I live so they built they there was an old pool and they like closed it and they built a municipal building where the pool used to be and so now the pool is on the roof of the municipal building and the pool overlooks a UNESCO World Heritage Site wow it is the Sir Alley Like, is there one in LA? I don't know how things work. Did you see how you absolutely got me? And then I was like, wait, is it a mall? What is it going? You it overlooks yes. one of the most important heritage historic institutions yeah. on Mother Earth. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm in my speedo, everything hanging out, and I'm like, mm. no, I wish Katie was out here smoking a cigarette right now, yelling about something, being mean oh to somebody needlessly. Because that's what Katie does. You know what I was thinking about the other day? That orange hair that she had. 
during one of the early seasons and she like it was like a bad dye job and then producers made her continue to re-dye it that poor like shitty orange color because they needed it for pickups and for like continuity which is the meanest thing you could ever do yeah i would be like fuck you i'm cutting my hair (laughs) screw this damn show I truly would be like, listen, I know Felicity got canceled for less, but I'm not, I I must change it. I literally must change it. Remember when Katie just tried to casually drop on an episode about how she was playing Monopoly on a skylight during a photo shoot and fell through the skylight and like got her face all cut up and was paralyzed and was in bed for like three months. And I was like, pause. I have 17 million questions that you're going to need to answer, Katie Maloney Schwartz, the meanest woman on television. Is she going back to Katie Maloney? Oh, I don't know, but Katie Maloney is a great name. I will say that. Yeah. Um, yes. I hate her Instagram, Katie Loves Music, or whatever her Instagram handle is. Is it like Katie Rock and Roll or something? I don't even I don't think I follow her. I don't know that I, I follow don't follow her, her either. The the Bravo people I follow are very few and far between. There's my imaginary husband, Kyle Cook. Obvs. Erica Jane. Okay. <laughs> Sonia Morgan. That's it. Those are the, I follow, and I follow Jill Zarin. Wait, you only follow four, do you follow Andy? You I follow, follow Andy. Andy. And then I follow every single meme account and like podcast and fan account. <laughs> <laughs> you're a business bitch you know what it takes i'm supporting the fans you know i am usually much more interested in what they have to say about the shows than the people on the shows because they're usually like too close to it and yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like lots of promo buy my bullshit Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i don't need that if there's anything crazy somebody else will retwitter it and i'll be like thanks are you still on Twitter? I'm thinking of leaving Twitter, but the only thing that's keeping me there is like Housewives Twitter because I find like great memes. I find yeah. great stories. Like when I'm doing the new my newsletter, you know, it's like I always try to have like some things people are talking about on Twitter, even if they're like rumors. But yeah, if it weren't for that, I think I would let it go. But I don't know. Maybe we should make like a Housewives Twitter Discord and just yes. have it like clothes you know like invite only mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's necessary I haven't been on Twitter in so many years but I do f- it's like it is I guess that is like a little bit of a closing of a chapter because I, I where else could a gal go to find out yeah. whatever Candace is saying about you know another cast member's body like where am I going to get that information oh, my Instagram God. stories what's a gal to do do i have to go to reality blurb (laughs) i mean god bless anybody who's really in the trenches of social media all day every day couldn't be me i'm too sensitive for it i have a question that you won't know the answer to and we're gonna ask you anyway which is why does whenever bravo needs a headline from the blogs or the press when people are talking about shit do they always go to reality blurb like I don't know. It's this shit is weird. on Vulture. It's on HuffPo. It's on reputable sources. And like, especially the Erica stuff, the Jen Shaw stuff, like you could go to the New York Times headline and instead they go to reality blurb. 
I mean, during the Beverly Hills reunion, I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool with these like little screenshots of reality blur. But I literally wrote five pieces about this for the Daily Beast. Yeah. One of which was the first one that talked about there being a coordinated bot attack. But okay. Yes, exactly. Like, and yeah, the Times covered this shit. Like, yeah, everybody did. Why are we using reality blurb? Is it because they don't charge? I don't know. Oh, is that what it is? I don't know. It's weird. like, so, so like some outlets, like if you want the good housekeeping stamp of approval, like you have to pay to have good housekeeping stamp of approval, like on your packaging. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like when you see those movie posters, like Brian Moylan in The Guardian said, this is the best thing ever. Like those <laughs> will be free. So yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Has there been a little bit of an evolution in how housewives leak? Like Raider Online used to be the standard. And I think for some housewives, it still is. And yet a lot of these online like IG accounts seem to be getting early scoop and legit tea in ways that blogs used to monopolize. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, social media, well, First of all, there's there's that like Bravo and cocktails, and, like Dumois, yes, like all that shit yes. that's like, well, so there's that. And then, yeah, I just think that um, before leaking used to be an art and now like, it, well, and any housewife can just leak. Like you said, Candace can just be like, here are my receipts on her Twitter right. account. And like, she doesn't need to do whatever. But there, uh, I was working on a bo- uh, chapter for my book about the press and how the housewives deal with the press and all that stuff. And um, in the early days, like, especially the Teresa stuff, like she was getting paid to mm. do all that stuff with the tabloids. And you can see where she likes to leak as places that are paying her money. It seems currently to be the sun, the U.S. sun. Mm. Um, and uh, but I also talked to people who used to work at Radar Online, and they said that the best leaks they get are actually from the producers and they have the producers essentially on retainer and pay them to like give them reports of like what's happening during filming and you know and so they make like a thousand dollars a week or whatever and they call up and are like here's the tea here's who's coming to the to the reunion or not or whatever so i think that there's definitely people like Lisa Vanderhump and others who leak to Radar <laughs> Online, but some of that w- that we're seeing the leaks is uh, producers too. Well, that was An- Adrian Malouf's number one biggest mistake when she accused Lisa Vanderpump of leaking to Radar Online. She attached a um a price to that and it's like lisa's not getting paid for if you had just come in with the argument she's leaking it would have been a separate conversation but you assumed or someone misled you in saying she was getting a check which i don't think genuinely she ever was no and i mean and so everyone i talked to i talked to a bunch of gossip columnists like now back in the day like people who've worked in the industry a long time and they all said the leaker in chief the one who did it the best was bethany frankel and that she was leaking on everything and that she was leaking on herself to like get more attention so like she'd go on a date with someone relatively Uh famous and call up and be like i'm about to go on a date with so-and-so so that she would be in page six so that it would get like picked up 
Okay, a couple follow-up questions about that. Number one, I assume that's where, like, the A... I assume that she leaked about A-Rod, like, all of that yeah. weird stuff. I was yeah. like, this is coming from Skinny Girl HQ. Um, but a huge part of season three was her going to the blogs, opening up the New York Post and saying, yeah. oh, my God, here's a piece in page six. Obviously, it was leaked by Jill Zarin. Is there some sort of... You know, that's what Bethany was saying. It was a it, the piece included that Jill Zarin was hosting an event at Saks. It included a shout out to Luann. It like had all of these indicators that would seem to connect the dots to the person the light yes. was shining on which, yes. in a positive light, which would be Jill. But do you think in those situations, Bethany, was was she really like Inception style? Well, using the plot in that way? Is that even possible back in the day to think like from that? From what I understand, the person who taught Jill to leak effectively was Bethany. No. <laughs> and so I think that's why Bethany was like, Jill's fingerprints are all, all over this because I taught you how to do it and this is how I would do it. But when I was doing research for the book and was mm -hmm. going back um, like to using like hardcore journalist databases to search for things. So it's not Google searches as someone like Andy Cohen might've said on his radio show about my book. But anyway. Um, oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, he called it a book of Google searches. Anyway. Um, From I found, the man? Okay, yep. I found some of the early instances back. of Housewives mentions in the press and Jill was placing herself in, placing herself in stories like as the show was coming up. So like one was about um, people who took private jets to the Super Bowl. And so Jill Zarin was like a source in that story. And it was like Jill Zarin, who had just been cast on the Real Housewives of New York. And there was another one about uh, parents who get their kids private cars to school in New York. And she was, she was another one in there too. So, I mean, I don't think Jill Zarin was a novice on getting herself press and or attention. But um, yeah, I think Bethany was the one who mastered it and, you know, was no newbie to the reality television world. And that's why she was like going to events, trying to get photographed to get her like business off the ground. Like she was trying to play up her fame. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how this became Brian Moylan's class on how I was like to the press. I mean, I'm <laughs> extremely into it, though. It is fascinating to think of the journey and the way that these women needed to teach each other or learn the skill that I feel like at this point comes from within. I think we're just in a different generation of yes. using press and media that even at this point, the media and press looks at um you know, IG accounts and other places to yeah. come up with news in ways that didn't exist, let alone, I wonder how that influences the power that a housewife would have in driving story or attention, which could be the same or different kind of, you know. Well, and I also depending. think that it's, it's a weird world, and this is across reality, but like, for housewives obsessives like you and I, we knew about Lisa Hochstein and Lenny's confrontation mm. at the club and like all that stuff before we see it on the show. And, you know, and you see the same thing with the Kardashians. It's like you're catching mm. up on things we already learned about either in the press or on social media or whatever. So it's kind of like a different game. Whereas before, you know, there was definitely like, oh, we're leaking to page six or we're leaking to, you know, whatever. But 
now it's there's so much more of it there's so much of a different game involved and yeah and it's just a whole different world and i'm one of those people like i don't care i'm still happy to watch lisa hockstein tell her mother-in-law about her conversation with her husband at the club you know it's not ruining the action for me but um yeah we yeah before we never got that like you never heard any of this behind the scenes stuff you know, it kind of reminds me of something I have been ruminating about for the last couple of days. I don't know how this even popped into Milady brain. It likely had something to do with my just ongoing obsession and devotion with Miami, which is just changing the game right now. Oh my God, amazing. But I think uh, so good and so interesting that it is so excellent considering it's not a full reboot cast. It is a true combination of yes. new and returning housewives. And I just think they've perfected the recipe in Miami for what housewives now could be a mix yeah. of like present past making this ridiculous um, uh, situation, I guess. Uh, but I was thinking a little bit about the ways that we have viewed casting of housewives or the idea of a housewife as an like audience from the audience perspective, which was the idea of escapism of a potentially famous, which really wasn't how housewives began the Rinna's the whomever else's, yeah. but someone with a lot of power and influence in their community, definitely the appearance of cash and that being the kind of aspiration that we were looking for. Like there was an aspiration set in the old school idea yes. of what a housewife is at a certain level. And now that's been distorted a little bit with most of these franchises with the idea of aspiration being the actual role itself before yeah. a housewife was aspiring as like a private individual or maybe a public individual, but not necessarily a celebrity. And now I feel like the, because the aspiration, I don't know if this makes any sense, but because the aspiration has been set at the person already being famous when they're cast in real housewives, a la Arena or yes. Garcelle, or being so connected to the idea that they themselves are aspirational because they were cast on this show. How does that change how we view these women? And how does that change the quality of seasons and franchises that we can expect? Does that make any sense? Like the idea of aspiration changing? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I remember talking, I don't know if this is in the book or not, but uh, I talked to a casting agent for my book and mm. uh, she was taught, and this was like, I, you know, I talked to her like, two, three years ago at this point, And this was before, so this was a while ago, but she was saying that she remembers them ca wanting to cast somebody. And, you know, she lived in Malibu, but she lived in a small house. You know, it was like a ranch, like two bedroom. It was probably like a $3 million house in Malibu, but they were like, her house is too small. We can't film in it. We can't hire mm. her. And so I, I just feel like there's some, like sometimes there's so much a focus on that person having a job and being aspirational and having all that money that it's like, you forget about that. Bethany was poor when she, you know, started the show, right. but was like poor and great. Or you look at some, like someone like Gina Kirschenheider now mm -hmm. who, you know, may or may not be your favorite, but I think she's a decent housewife, but she doesn't have all of that, you know? And, and I think that there's something interesting in her going to Heather's house and being like, Holy shit. I wish I lived like you. 
um, that, you know, you don't, you wouldn't get otherwise. And so, yeah, I feel like if you get cool, interesting people who are striving for something and are working towards something, I mean, that's as interesting to me as somebody who just like married a rich dude, like Jennifer Aiden's mm. just married to a doctor and like, yeah. You know, she's great on television. I'm not like knocking her, but it's like, I would rather see like uh, old school Bethany who's like poor and working for it than someone who's just like, oh, here's all my husband's money. Like a Sutton, you know what I mean? At least Sutton has her store, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? I hear you. And yet I, I, um, totally disagree. Because we have conversations like these, but I, I personally like the idea of mixing different universes and marriages and like behind closed doors lifestyles. I yeah. think as someone who is not in the position of being in a traditional relationship let or, or rather not in a traditional marriage and yeah. is unmarried slide into my dms but i <laughs> look at that almost as a version of escapism because i don't necessarily know if i would make the same choices which is why i find it so fascinating to yeah. watch i yeah, don't yeah, yeah. want Bethany's, God forbid, it would be like alpha times a million and also a difference in how you view an alpha personality. But I think that there is something quite fascinating and to me really engaging in seeing the ways that women, I mean, hello, housewives, adjust sometimes yeah. a potentially traditional marriage when they join housewives, when the camera yeah. goes to them, when they're center stage, how their spouses react to that. And yeah. also just the idea of like, you know, the story behind the story is you're in a traditional potentially, I don't know if I'm using this phrase correctly, but a traditional relationship, traditional marriage in that sense, uh, potentially the quote unquote housewife is not the financial provider they're providing right. in many other ways, but how does that adjust the circumstance when they are making income through yes. housewives that they're probably not allowed to discuss on camera? You know, I find that fascinating. No. And I think that's why we see so many housewives divorces. Cause like Shannon Bedore has been subservient to David for all those years and rely on him. And then she tried. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she's famous, she's getting attention, she's making money and he's not as comfortable with that. And yeah. And so I think it just like widens all the gaps in, um, you know, these relationships. I mean, you look at someone like Dr. Jen and Ryan, you know, uh, on OC, you know, I feel like there was something similar there. Um, yeah, and I think it can be hard for a lot of those relationships. And, and I do find that to be interesting and, and, do find that Housewives is a platform, strangely enough, for empowering women, I think, in a lot mm -hmm. of instances that, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is bad for women, this is anti-feminist, blah, blah, blah. But it's like helping these women get out of bad marriages, get into business, get, you know, something going. So maybe it's not as bad as we think. I don't know. Yeah. And to me, the idea of feminism is um, uh, understanding and the hope and ideally the reality of treating men and women equally. It doesn't mean a woman can't determine the scope of her life and how she wants to live it. Like you can be a in a traditional relationship and absolutely be a feminist in the way that you want to be treated in that dynamic and the way that you want society to look at you, you know, like that gets into this kind of 
um, kind of interesting convo, but I you have to just <laughs> note or respond back since you mentioned my queen, my darling, my love, Shan. Oh, wow. That I, I don't know that it was necessarily the fame or money that hurt their relationship or got them on the path to divorce. In fact, I think had the cameras not been there, they may have actually gotten totally. divorced yes. quicker. I don't think David was looking at Shannon and was like, you're making money. I have a problem with that. In fact, I think he probably was like, this is great. It's going to make it easier yeah. for me when I go. Yes. But then there are circumstances. I mean, with Lenny and Lisa, for example, like where do we think, do we think that Lenny would have behaved in the same way at in the same timeline had they not been on Housewives and this been a, a totally private individual noting that he was still a public figure in oh my the God. Miami community. I have thoughts on this. Tell me. <laughs> tell me everything. So, I need to know. first of all, if you're Lenny Hochstein, it is a fucking rookie mistake to plan the divorce of your wife for when the cameras are up. Like, you know when that shit is going live. He was fucking that girl for months, I would assume. Mm. At least. Are you kidding? At yeah. least. And so he needed to be like, yeah, I'm either doing this before you start filming, or I'm doing after you start filming so that you are not up in my grill. First of all, that was stupid because we could tell from the conversation he had with his friend, he was planning this to some extent for a while. Amen. And, um, and some people were like... <sighs> The editing around Lisa has been a little bit weird in that it wants to make her seem, it wants to make it seem like she had no idea, but it also makes it want to seem like she was behaving strangely because she knew. You know what I mean? Where mm. it's like, you get two things where she's like, I had no idea, I had no idea. But then you have all the girls being like, Lisa's behaving so strangely. Why is she behaving so strangely? And it's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. But so some fans in the comments were asking like, you know, was some, oh no, this was the women on the show were speculating that Lenny was like, it's over, it's over, it's over. And right. this is what he had to do to get it into her head that it was over. But if he was behaving like that, why would he have had that romantic dinner with her when the nanny fell? Like if he's trying to tell her it's over, why would he be going through the motions and like putting his arm around her to take that picture at the party. Like, I think he came out of nowhere and just like did it on his own. Um, but my other, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but no, my other so I'm nodding. Um, I'm nodding. observation about Lenny Hochstein is I think it would have happened anyway. And because there was that emotional affair where he totally fucked that girl like 100%. years ago. 100% put his dick in her heart, let alone vagina. Like, we're talking about an emotional affair. He emotionally fucked her multiple times. <laughs> poor sweet Lisa. Poor sweet Lisa Hochstein. Poor, oh my poor God. thing. Yeah. Poor Lisa Hochstein called up, do you think they're sleeping together? Bitch. Do you think they're having... And the, the women's response of like... Do we think they're fuck? Who said this? Larsa was like, not only are they fucking in your house, they're like fucking in the club. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's not a matter of even when, but how. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, this definitely would have happened. And I think 
that because I think if um if this had happened while the show was on its long hiatus, like mm. it would have been one thing in page six, Lisa's getting divorced. Okay, great, who cares? And then on with their lives. But now that the show's back, it's like a bigger thing. But I think that Lenny's, this is what amateur psychologist Brian Boylan thinks, based on nothing, is I think <laughs> the problem is the kids. Because they tried so hard to have those kids. The par- Lenny's parents, we saw them on there being like, yes, you have to have Marina. kids. We need you to have a family, blah, blah, blah. And all the stress that put on Lisa. And so they finally did it. They had two kids. And Lenny was like, this fucking sucks. I want to have parties with young girls. I want to go on vacation all the time. I want to be at the club. Like, I don't want to be sitting at home with you and these two fucking snotty-nosed kids. And I think that's what did it. I think he was like, this isn't for me. I want to go back to the old way of just living girls gone wild in my house every night. Well, I feel like that gets into the idea of when you think of traditional relationships and marriages, often there's just the underlying understanding, the expectation, the assumption that in the traditional relationship, if the man is the breadwinner and the woman is the caregiver, the fa- the idea that the man would want it this way. And it is entirely possible that the setup and standard of this was set by Lenny's parents, by his yeah. family members, who his mom said repeatedly on the newest episode, nobody ever gets divorced here, that he just felt like he was either stuck or trapped, or maybe he thought he wanted this until he realized he did not. And then it's actually Lisa in the position of like, no, I I want this traditional marriage. And yet we're having these fucking parties that we're maybe getting paid yes. for to support our bills where it's only 20 something young women half naked, like walking about that. That wasn't the standard that she set, but she was still trying to fit into a yes. mold that he assumed she would take his apparent his parents maybe had dictated. And then now what's left? Yeah. Well, and one of the women, I don't remember who it was, said in the confessional, like, you threw those parties to keep your husband happy. And he went and ran off with one of those girls. And he got happy. That's the, yeah. the problem was, you you know, like the idea of where am I allowed to use my voice without potentially upsetting the cycle here? And if I don't use my voice, if I don't set boundaries because I feel like they're not there for me, it will make my husband happy. And the reality was, yes, he was going to find happiness. Yeah. However, if you responded or did not, you would potentially feel guilt like this was on you, but it was always on him. He was always going to find his happiness. It just took X number of years before he officially checked out. Well, and I said this in a recap is, and is that like, Lenny married Lisa for this. Like, th- like he found a woman who doesn't talk to her family. I'm not sure if they've mm. gone into it, but is estranged from her family. I don't know if they're dead. A very dead. small amount. A very small amount. She said, like, they, she doesn't have a good relationship yeah. with them. So she has no family. He met her in Las Vegas, moved her to Miami, away from all her friends, built up this life with her. And, and he was always going to leave her. <laughs> and he and she was always going to be fucked because you know now she has like no money no i mean she has a way of earning income but it's the show and mm. uh yeah and oh, yeah it's just oh, he's the worst and i mean 
<laughs> it's interesting to me that uh, one of the women who I talked to for my book, who's an academic who studies like who does media studies and studies reality television, said that reality always reality television as a genre always um, supports like what society prizes the most. And so you see it like on The Bachelor, it's like, we're going for this monogamous, romantic, you know, whatever. And so it's interesting to me, you see on The Housewives, like so many of these relationships would be fixed if they could just have an open marriage or they have an open marriage, but they can't talk about it. Like on the show, like I think about uh, Michael and Ashley Darby and it's like, Mm. She either she knew he was fucking around or didn't care. You know what I mean? It's like they had something going on, but whenever it came up, the women would always be like, "You're weird. Why are you having three ways? You shouldn't be sleeping with women." You know, and so it's interesting to me that we've seen a few examples of non-traditional relationships on The Housewives, but whenever we do, there's always everyone like piling on top of them, trying to get them to do the conventional thing. So I would be interested. And I mean, that's what was interesting to me about a Noella where Noella is like, mm. I'm married to this dude. We fuck girls together. It's great. You know, and I'm like into that, but all the other women are like, Oh, a stack of vaginas. That's gross. And um, yeah. So it's really, it's really interesting to me how the show can at one time be like empowering to women and getting them out of these relationships and at the same time like always wanting women to be like married to a man in a monogamous relationship you know it's our housewives endlessly (laughs) fascinating and i think of the way that like threesomes as a shaming vehicle for rumors and speculation was used against vicky for example on orange county and what i appreciate at least about not at least but what i appreciate among many things in Miami is I maybe it's because we just haven't been in a circumstance in which this would come up as of yet we have seen the idea of like light shaming with Adriana would you are you dating someone who's still married and how do the legalities and dates line up with that the idea of like you there is a morality code that has been set in Miami potentially due to what these women have revealed about past relationships or just as the actual standard and the way that we all agree with it when it comes to Lenny's a piece of shit, let's rally. And I wonder if will there be a circumstance in the future in a place like Miami, which listen, there are many different relationships and circumstances that exist, but I also think there is some nice fluidity there too it would be interesting to see how that reflects upon itself you know yeah well i'm curious where this i saw julia making out with a dude is yes because like you know (laughs) and how that is going to be different from if julia were a fully heterosexual person you know because she's I mean, she's called herself a lesbian, but she seems more of a bisexual. And you know, yeah, I don't know. I'm I, I my my uh, glad <laughs> radar is up on the Julia's making out with a dude discussion. You know, like, but uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see how that goes. 
Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat, there was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. The lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic non-stick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen 
is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered home threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to homethreads.com today and live your best real housewives life. Go to homethreads.com slash Andy Scrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's homethreads.com slash Andy Scrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. That is such a good point. I'm so glad you raised it because when it comes to the idea of like tradition setting, shaming, questioning, positioning a person to stay in a specific role, obviously Julia is married to her wife, Martina Navratilova. You may have heard of her. Um, And she has discussed having been married previously and been in a, a previous relationship with a man. And there is something to be said for the way that that information was revealed. Like what yeah. was most shocking to the women in that moment? Was it the fact that she was making out with someone or was it the fact that the person she was making out with uh, is, a man. is a man? Yeah, right. And so, yes. And and so I'm curious how this is going to go. And um, I'm very worried about Julia and Martina because I think they're a really great couple, but they do not seem to be at in the same stage of life with each other and it's so interesting how they seem to be reinforcing gender norms of yes. julia being the woman and martina being the man man you know well in that she's you know the grumpy one who's putting her foot down and doesn't want to talk at dinner and julia's the one who's like oh my babies my babies my babies and so yeah i mean Endlessly fat. I just can't believe Martina is on I literally can't believe. You know Andy is still in shock about this. Every time he referenced her, it's like he's shaking his head. He's like, I literally can't believe that this has happened. It's wa- it is wild. It is <laughs> wild. It's on Real Housewives. But I do think when it comes to like gender norms, there are uh, traditional relationship norms that yeah. where the gender can be removed, where it's really, to me, the idea of Martina not necessarily um, acquiescing or uh, performing in the role of what is typically through the idea of traditional uh, relationship norms and whatever else, that she is playing the part of the quote-unquote man in that. While, of course, colloquially, like throughout the history of all society and whatever else right. of course it would suggest that that would be the positioning and yet now I feel like we're at a level where of just understanding and acceptance where really that role understanding the ways that housewives continues and breaks apart from and um gets into the idea of specific gender norms um and roles but the idea that that is really like the role of the provider and yeah. Julia's role is the role of the caretaker. And what happens when the caretaker only wants to take care of the kids who are no longer present and has like an allergic reaction to taking care of the provider, this like dynamic where yes, she's, she reacts with upset at the idea of participating in some sort of like one-on-one circumstance, she only sees herself existing currently to take care of her kids. That yes. she not only can't take care of the provider in that position, she doesn't want the provider to ask. Yeah. 
Yes. And Martina, I mean, I would be in the same position as Martina. Like the kids are gone. Let's party, you know, let's go on yeah, trips. Like let's, let's do connect. shit. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and Julia seems to be letting her nurturing come out on the farm, but then Martina also doesn't support that. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's really, <laughs> so um, my husband, or my husband's mother is um, in a relationship with a the gentleman. They're both retired. They've been Ooh. together maybe like 12, 15 years. Oh. And, um, and when he retired, his thing was he always wanted to get a job at like a car rental place. Okay. So, so he got a job at, they live in Santa Barbara at like Avis or whatever the fuck, like car rental place. And was just like happy as a clam, like going to drive cars to the car rental place. And then my husband's mother was like, but I want to travel and you have to go to this oh stupid God. job. And so she made him like quit the job so that they could, you know, like go live their lives. And, you know, in hindsight, he was like, oh, yeah, that was the right thing to do. But, yeah, it's funny how, you know, we. Yeah, when when you remove all those things from your life, like what do you really want to do at the end of the day? And, you know, how how do you make each other understand that? Well, also, what's the difference between a dream and a desire? His dream was to work at Avis. His dream was to work at Hertz. Julia's desire, Julia's dream wasn't to be like, don't ever talk to me again. I don't want to make dinner for just the two of right. us. Call me when a kid has arrived. It feels like her does. That was not her dream. Her, her dream is no longer available. It is yes. to be with her kids full time and have them be at a certain age and have a certain level of need. She does not want to substitute her children's needs with her wife's or she doesn't feel able to. So like, how does a person come to terms with another person's desire when it directly contradicts the, the idea of like a relationship of two people connection? I genuinely have no idea. Like, what do you do? Do you, if you are Martina, do you just say like this too shall pass? Let her, she needs to be, she needs to be allowed to grieve. She needs to be allowed to potentially panic and, and be upset and process it. And my hope is that we'll come together. Or do you just check out? I don't know. I would be like, you have a year, like you have a year to mourn this and, you know, figure it out. But you know, and in the meantime, let's you and I discuss what we want together and how we can help each other and, you know, how we can meet those goals together and, you know, what kind of compromises we can do. But it was that scene at that dinner table with Martina and Julia and the daughter who is coming to visit when she's like, I'm getting a scooter. And like, Mm. (laughs) and Julia freaking out and then Mm. Martina being like, make sure you wear a helmet. It's like, that's the conversation every teenager like has with their parents and every mother goes through and every, you know, other parental figure says, just make sure you wear a helmet. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's what I love about the housewives when you get these things that are so real and that, you know, to have them reflected back on you. And it's like, you've definitely been in one of those conversations and just, you know, what can we learn from Martina and Julia's life being a wreck? And it's also the idea of these small moments being like a window into the relationship. How many small moments do you have throughout the course of the day? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And yet we don't have reality TV cameras following us around looking for an example that can fit within a narrative that they're editing based on reality, most likely. 
used as an example of it, but not necessarily thinking in that moment, this is going to represent the entirety of the current status of our relationship. And yet it very well might. It yeah. very well might. It's a lot of pressure uh, to see this stuff played out in this way, you know? So I have a question for you. And Tell me I mean, everything. I think we can all agree that Lenny Hochstein is a piece of shit and is treating his wife like garbage. Can you imagine if I was like, I have a counter to that? <laughs> I actually love Lenny Hochstein. I think the way that he leaves napkins and women's asses really shows how much of a wonderful plastic <laughs> surgeon he is. Yeah, no, yeah, 100%. He's a piece of shit. So, but this leads to my question, which is, who do we think is the worst housewives husband slash partner Jim of Marquise. all time? Jim Marchese. Jim Marchese followed by Russell Armstrong. Hmm. And then you get into a middle tier of like Lenny's, uh, uh, Frazier, you know, but I think like yeah. there is also a There's very, an Apollo very Nida tier. in there. That's like, uh, well, I, it's like you start with like the criminals and then you get yeah. down to like the usual cheater asshole yeah. jerk faces. Joe Giudice was pretty bad. Joji DJ was awful. Well, but that's my thing is like, even the ones who aren't that bad are still like pretty awful. Like, are there any good ones other than Maurizio? I would say Joe Gorga is a pretty good husband, it seems to me. Um, yeah, I think it's such a difficult dynamic to figure out how much of a part how much of a partner he's maybe grown into. Talk about yeah. a guy who is focused on traditional roles. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. But I think that's so hard to figure out right now because his he has so much rage towards his sister, which is yeah. obviously impacting not only his relationship with her, but his marriage that I like, yeah. I don't know how to unpack that. But, you know, I've got some there are some people that I gen I think, you know, who knows what's happened with those dollars and cents. But I kind of think PK is probably a pretty good partner. I know that that sounds nuts and you're giving me eyes, but like, I don't think that he's, I think he's probably a pretty good supporter. My number one, which is so fucking, I mean, like obviously Bobby Zarin was a delight. And, and what I remember so much about Bobby aside from, um, obviously his support of Jill is when he said to her during the worst parts of her split from Bethany, he's like, I can't fix this for you. This is your problem. I, I cannot solve this. And maybe if I could, I wouldn't, you know, like this is on you, which to me was the best kind of support of like supporting and encouraging a person to hold themselves accountable. But this is a fucking random one, but I've always died for Jonathan Schindler. Heather Thompson's husband. Absolutely. And it was like, he he was there when he needed to be and when Mm -hmm. she needed him to be and never. Nope. He was just there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I feel that way about Evan Goldschneider. Schneider, absolutely. Oh my god. Also, by the way, shout out to the Hebrews. Two Hebrews already are the only two. Uh good oh and Mar- oh three Hebrews and Mauricio. I mean, hello, <laughs> oh Mary god. and you. <laughs> we got the best guys. Um, leave them to me. When she was talking to Evan about yes. her struggle and him just being yes. like, What do you need? I'm here to yes. help. You know, like, what more do you want from a man? Especially one that is fucking like six, seven. And has a flat stomach. I mean. 
Uh, who cares about a, I don't first off no we're not doing that I don't I love Oof. I love a little bit of a whatever yeah I get that I but mean, like same. he's like traditionally hot but also whatever no I I feel you sis I feel you but um the best part of Evan too was like when he had a conversation and he was trying to tell Jackie without shaming her without upsetting her like trying to very gently be like listen our kids have seen more they've noticed more yes. than what you can currently process or understand and the way he was trying to guide her to help herself you know try to say you know like I know you don't want to do inpatient but I think this would be helpful but it's also your choice the only yeah. way this is going to quote unquote work is if you are at the helm of it and I'm here for you I'm worried about you and I love you and I'm going to I just think he's like the fucking and he's so fucking hot he's obviously hot he is he's very, obviously hot very hot he is obviously hot obviously hot. so Wait, okay so this is my yeah, next tell me, question tell me, is tell me so regardless of how they behave mm -hmm. who do we think is the hottest house husband because I have an answer and it'll be controversial if okay can i just say who just came to mind and okay. I, there is no way there's no way you're gonna there's there's no way that this is true there i know that you're not gonna do this to me let alone the ags but the person that i am scared that you're gonna say is like jim edmonds or something no thank god okay thank god thank god can you give me a clue uh it's it's he's a husband of a real house of atlanta wait and you're saying this is the hottest person who regardless of how they act like you're just hot and i want to have sex with you oh, even though you may or may the, not be an asshole you're gonna do the thing that everybody says that i just don't care about which is juan no i'm going to you're gonna say, say eddie no i'm going to say <laughs> drew sedora's husband ralph oh my god oh you said atlanta i heard atlanta Potomac. yeah Oh my God. Cause I was thinking in my head about Juan cause you know, Pajamic is happening. Um, ah. yeah, I think Juan is hot, but Ralph, Ooh, girl, Ralph can get it. But Ralph is the worst, the worst. I think he is among the, but like he would be in the one, he's not in the top tier of housewives, but I think he's almost like, I would put him maybe at a Joe Giudice level. Well, see, that's, what's weird is there was that whole thing in Tampa or whatever, but you know, there's so many that cheated like a Mario Singer, like Mario Singer seemed to be a good husband until he cheated and seems to be a good guy. And then you have someone like Ralph who is an asshole, but as far as we know, hasn't cheated. So it's mm. like, does that make him better than Mario or does that make mm. him worse than Mario? Well, I don't know. I don't, I think, I don't know because I feel like the, the way the Mario narrative was presented to us was that he was sort of losing his mind because of a midlife crisis, which yeah. does occur and can happen. Absolutely. There is a certain point in a per person's life where they look around and they say, is that all there is? Which Girl. isn't Ramona specific, but life specific. Like I, I'm not, I'm not this old. I must remain young. And the yeah. number one way of staying young is fucking someone very young. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the man was married to Ramona Singer for like 20 something years. That's got to add, add some dog ears to that. That's gotta I age mean, a saint, a saint, that Mario Singer, a Oof. saint. Also a piece of shit, which is how he was able to, they were also able to vibe with each other. Oof, Countless without the O. Get it. 
I, I ship Ramona and Mario. I want them to end up together forever. Do you think that would happen? I don't think Ramona can get herself to have there. I don't think Ramona can ever forgive him for what he did, but Ramona is never going to find anybody who will be as good to her as Mario is. And I think that she'll, I don't think she'll ever find another partner. God, that's got, I mean, when you meet someone and they're the idea that one person in life is like your soulmate made for you is like, Ugh, it's Agree. a lot for me to Agree. figure out, but yes, but I mean, we've seen Ramona's personality. she has some challenges in that department and i just think that there's something about the men who are around pre-fame like pre-housewives that like he's gonna know a ramona that no one else will ever know and i think will um will love love her more because of that if that makes sense yeah, because he knew her before she became this other person and this other thing. Yeah. Um, and also there's an ownership in that. I adored you before you were on TV when everyone yes. adored you maybe because you were on TV. Right. And yeah, and I'm sure that trying to date while housewife is not easy. Speaking of which, how do you feel about Ashley and Luke? I feel like it's over and that's all fine. I don't think it ever made. I think it was something the Bravo community, as powerful as we are, breathed into being. Just put it out there. The idea of a vision board couldn't Instagram being the number one iteration of that. This thing that we like propelled into existence existed until a certain amount of time because isn't he a little bit of a piece of shit? I don't know. That's not going to work out. Has there been an announcement? Did they like break up or? She unfollowed him and took down from the grid a photo that she'd posted to Maine of the two of them, which is like worse than a divorce announcement. Yeah. Okay. I don't even think she archived it. I feel like she probably deleted that shit. I um, was unaware of that because I haven't been following Housewives Twitter. See what happens. Well, I mean, listen, somebody needs to listen to the last Andy's Girls episode, the top 25 moments of 2022, because Ashley becoming single before and after Luke was on there. It was like number whatever. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I apologize for for not listening. (laughs) How literally dare you? Can I ask you a question that's totally unrelated? Yeah. I think of these small moments and the importance of small moments maybe being exacerbated to like fit into a larger narrative or just being important for storyline that we see these little like whatever's they are. But that's a a part of what makes a housewife season work, like a small little helping your kids with their schoolwork, you know, dropping the grocery list or like a housewife going to a grocery store and hasn't been there in a while or talking to someone that like works for the family or something Kyle else, like, driving like, her tiny car to the grocery store when she can't buy anything because there's no room in the tiny car <laughs> Kyle with an assortment of German shepherds just laying on the couch with like five dogs as her pillow like something that's a little bit of a nothing burger and yet that's like the sweetest kind of valentine like the scenes in between yes I'm watching Salt Lake 
attempting to to get <sighs> through the muck of it. And I'm wondering to myself with the season as a whole, obviously there are some structural inner uh structural issues um involving the cast like the foundation yeah. here is not quite working out but i also wonder like where are the small moments are we're not really getting them we're just getting small big fights yes uh i think that they seem to have been on on a lot of trips so far on salt lake yeah so we yeah, haven't yeah. seen them at home as much but i think about like fudge college and like playing basketball with the kids yeah, that's true and well, that's like one, yeah that's and, that one moment yep you know and but i also think that that's part of the problem with salt lake and in, in that this is what i always say about jennifer aiden is that when she's with the group i can't fucking stand her like the way she mm. behaves drives me insane. But then when I see her with her kids, when I see her with her family, when I see her with Bill and like all that shit, I'm like in, like, I'm mm -hmm. so fascinated by her and her story. And, and I think that we need some of that on Salt Lake because all we're getting is like negative, 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 negative. And we need some fun. We need to remember why we like these people. And, um, and, and I mean, this is what I've been thinking about lately, and it's Please. It, it and it seems to be on Salt Lake and on Potomac and coming up on New Jersey is that the women seem miserable. Like all of them seem like they do not want to be there. Mm. They fucking hate each other. They're only there because they have a show, they have a brand, they have a whatever. They're there because they do it. Candace does not want to be there. Candace is like, I'm not here for the storyline. I wish I was a real singer, not a housewife singer. She's miserable whenever she shows up. It's like Nini or Portia in their last few seasons. Vicky. And it's like, she, they all hate each other. And it's like, why am I watching this? And then we're about to go into New Jersey where Teresa and Melissa literally cannot breathe the same air as each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're so miserable. And that's why Miami to me has been such a bright spot because they are so fucking happy to be there. They're mm -hmm. glad they're there. They're fighting, but they're having fun. They wouldn't give this up for the world. And so many of the other women are treating the show like a burden. And I think it has become a burden for a lot of them, but they also can't find their way out. And I'm really interested in this like from a psychological perspective but as a viewer slash fan i'm like you need to find some people who are going to have fun because no fun has been had there was no fun on beverly hills there was no fun the last season of new york like where is the fun well and what what does it mean or how does a person find a next step if large yeah. segments of the cast hate each other like yes. this is supposed to be a quote unquote friend circle if these women hate each other and never want to be friends again how do you focus on driving story story yes. forward at least with new jersey melissa does genuinely seem to have affection for and with marge 
with um, yes, yes, Jackie. Yes. Teresa does with Jen, even though it's according to Teresa's determination of what friendship means, which is <laughs> right. entirely one-sided. And like these two new housewives who seem to have their heads directly up the asses of whatever alliance they decided or or was decided for them to join. Yeah. Like there, there is still affection there. Obviously, we're going to see a big fucking wedge in the Garden State. But with Salt Lake, it's like, who has affection here? If, if, None. If the only None. people we seem to like ha- seem to be enjoying each other is a thruple that includes a convicted felon I I don't know I'm not quite sure well and and you think about New York like the Mexico trip years in New York where it's like these women would fight but then at the end of the day they would have fucking fun and at the end of the day like all those women standing up around Lisa like Mm -hmm. they would kill for each other you know what I mean whereas Mm -hmm. like on Potomac and Salt Lake, especially, it's like they wouldn't piss on each other if they were on fire. And I think the thing about Melissa is it is her and Teresa are family. So it's like they have to be together. They have to work this out for the for everybody else. It's like, then why are we even following you? It like calls into question the very existence of the show, which is like a group of women who are friends traveling together. But it's like, I am not feeling that on a lot of the shows at the moment. What examples of them needing to work this out because their family have we seen aside from the most recent kind of um, oh, th- understanding? Said, they're never going to work it out. They're never going to work it out. But like we all have family members that we are stuck seeing because they're your family. And so like so in that way, the show mirrors what family's like in that at Christmas, Melissa's going to be there at your kid's christening. Melissa's going to be there. You know what I mean? So it's like, even though they hate each other, there's a reason for them to still be together, which is that they're family. Whereas on all the other shows, if they hate each other, there's no reason for them to be together. So why are we even watching these intractable fights that are never going to get resolved? Yeah, that's a solid point. And I was also thinking in my head, like, do they really need to see each other at family events because it seems so split? But because of their kids, because of the nieces and nephews, that is the that is the through line, which I don't know how long that will last because Melissa's kids are obviously aware of what Teresa has done in seasons past. And Teresa's kids are obviously aware of what Joe has said, you know, and those are the two most glaring missteps here when it comes to like potential reconciliation well and i always said you know there are a few things you should never do as a housewife like renew your vows go to a psychic uh get on a boat like all bad ideas all bad ideas if you're a housewife but i need to add to that list bringing your family on the show like we have never seen it end well like uh dina and caroline mm-hmm. kim and kyle kim mm-hmm. and or kyle and kathy like mm-hmm. Melissa and Joe, it's like everybody who's been on the shows together, except for maybe Heather those crazy Whitney. fucking twins, Heather oh, yeah, and Whitney, like, yeah. yeah, like never, it, this is not, yeah. And I can't believe Kyle brought Kathy on knowing what happened with her and Kim. I think they thought maybe it would keep them together and that I think maybe they were going to fall apart either way. It's a ticking time bomb in the Richards family. It's not a matter of if, but when, you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're somewhat one of the three and also three's company. Oh no, no. What's it? What is it called? Two is a whatever. Three is a whatever. 
two company threes a crowd. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, that's what never... Three's Company plays off of. I don't I know. know. Three sounds like company to me, too, if you're doing it right. <laughs> Depending on who the other two are and if everyone's game, you know. Oh, my God. Can I ask you, um, what was your reaction, speaking of the on the rules of things not to do, that shaman? What do we think of that shaman? I Did was we not in, love that shaman? I was into that shaman. I was into that own. shaman because that was the first time we saw them, like, go deep yeah. and like talk about it and try they seemed like they were very understanding of each other and trying to help mm -hmm. each other through their stuff as opposed to like rolling their eyes at each other or like you think about the shaman on oc where kelly's like gonging somebody in the head and yeah oh i was in, usually i'm like oh shaman eye roll but like this was way better than who doesn't trust jen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I like really I love that shaman. I was like, and I've been to a sound bath in Miami that changed my life. I still remember the visceral feeling I had at the end of the sound bath. Like that shaman was so fucking good. The way that that shaman provided an environment that felt so comforting where these women felt comfortable sharing and being vulnerable. And it felt like his energy was just so reassuring and safe where it wasn't about the gotcha. It wasn't about in Morocco whose husband's going to cheat with whomever we're reading, whatever, looking into whatever. It really felt like this is about the expression of fear and vulnerability and like the opening of what we want to let go, which is incredible. Well, and I think speaking to your point, there's been too much gotcha lately. And I think that there's so much fighting and arguing about points that um, are kind of ingenuous. Like, even if Giselle was uncomfortable when Chris was in that room with her, oh. her bringing it up and creating this narrative and them fighting about it is so disingenuous. And we all know it's disingenuous and you know it's disingenuous, but you're insisting on it anyway. And I hate that kind of fighting. It's like when Alexia said, um, oh, no, I said that as a compliment because Russian prostitutes are the best. Like, no, you didn't say that. You said that because you don't like her and you think she's a hooker. Like, that's why you said it. And so be honest with me. Like, and all of this shit with um, Chris and him looking at women and whatever is like totally manufactured and not at all believable. Well, I think like the idea of being disingenuous in terms of an interpersonal relationship and dynamic versus to production, to each other as cast members and to the greater audience is tough because in that moment and then Alexia being like, well, I just wanted to like make fun of Russian people because Lenny is Russian, yeah. which was so ridiculous and ass it was like come it was nonsensical which alexia knew but she just needed to get to the end of this which is like i'm not in trouble and here's why even yeah. if what i said is bad which i don't understand why that could be because it seems like a compliment to me <laughs> i'm still gonna push back and give it's like the choose your own adventure of yeah. apologies just do whatever makes you feel good because we're gonna move forward you don't have any say in that with what's going on in potomac and salt lake is so frustrating is because there's it's it is 
so absurdly, clearly disingenuous yes. in terms of production, regardless of circumstance. Like, I do not think that Ashley thinks I, I the Giselle thing is complicated because I think she's uh, exacerbating this because of production. But I do think she also felt uncomfortable, regardless yes. of whether or not that's a question of if, is that Chris's responsibility to carry for her. Um, but like it is disingenuous. It is obviously disingenuous for Ashley to bring her friend to Karen's comedy night to be right. like, oh, have you met Candace? Because my friend thought that, you know, Eddie smiled at her once and thought that Chris was looking at her when he most obviously was not. And that shows that these guys are compromised and in Salt Lake. It's incredibly disingenuous the way that we're figuring out this black eye situation. It's disingenuous on yes. behalf of the network for allowing what they're allowing to take place without a counter, which at least Potomac has. And it's disingenuous the way these women have, you know, reacted to the questions and concern about the black eye in real time. Like, and yet when it comes to Potomac stuff, not really Salt Lake for me because it crosses a different kind of line, but like isn't being disingenuous part of being a housewife like doesn't it doesn't being a housewife or a performer performing as a housewife require being disingenuous to a certain degree i i don't know i think that the thing audiences relate to more than anything is relatability and i think that if you can be vulnerable it that we'll forgive a lot of bad behavior. I'm thinking about like a Jennifer Aiden or a Kenya Moore, where it's like mm -hmm. Kenya has, you know, is going through so much in her personal life that she's very upfront and vulnerable about that we forgive her when she shows up with the cookie lady. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then I think of something like when Karen said Giselle wished Ray dead, and which she never did, which Karen knows she did it. And then you're just like making something up to fight. And I'm, and I see what, I see your point in that the name of the game is conflict and conflict resolution. But when you're creating conflicts that you can then resolve, we all know that you don't really care about this. Like, I want you to actually care about something. And if not, then maybe just get along and have fun. Yeah, and I think that there's a crossing of lines in terms of stakes. The stakes with Heather is we are being led to believe that she may have been physically violated and yes. assaulted by someone, including most obviously according to what we are being led to believe, potentially a member of the cast. That is crossing a line in terms of like the level of the the yes. crossing a line. You know what I'm saying? In terms of like stakes here, that is a very, very high level of stakes that feels inappropriate to perform Absolutely. or like include as a part of this when we're yelling at each other about who made like a dinner reservation or something else. And in Potomac, there is a level of that. And the idea of like the stakes are, did Chris or Eddie, obviously I, or just to be quite clear, do not agree with what the other women are saying, but like, did Chris or Eddie make women feel physically uncomfortable by God forbid smiling when you're right. at a party, which is ridiculous to me, but the stakes are so high that if some of these women are being disingenuous and bringing it to camera, bringing it on camera, how are we supposed to watch this take place? I think that's why I need to talk to Eric is so important because like when Candace said that moment, she was like, this is 
disingenuous. I understand yeah. stakes. I understand conflict, but like, I don't, be- I personally, meaning Candace, don't believe this person is believes what they're saying and it affects my relationship to such a degree. I will not allow production to perform it in this way. Well, and I know that when I talk to a bunch of housewives, um, that many of them claim their biggest problem was when production knows that something is or isn't true. Like this, for instance, like they know because they showed us that Chris wasn't looking at this woman. And Eddie was just smiling because he has a mouth and teeth. Jesus fucking Christ, leave these men alone. But, you know, so a number of women would complain about instances like this where they know the truth, but they kind of play it vague so that fans at home are like, oh, well, I think he did. Oh, well, I think he didn't. But there's an obvious truth and that is going to impact the Bassett's life. And production is saying, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like to get fans interested to get ratings up when, you know, we all know the answer. And so maybe we should just tell the answer. But I think that is different from the I thing too, because I'm with you. If I was Meredith or Whitney or whatever, I would be like, wait, you're saying you got hit by one of our coworkers. That means that coworker could also hit me. And so if our coworker hit you. I need to know about that because that's my safety at issue here. 100%. Yeah. It, it, regardless of, you know, whatever else is going on. But yeah. And so I'm surprised at how all this is playing out and that they're letting Heather get away with all this. But I also feel like at the reunion, Heather's going to be like, oh, Jen hit me. But I don't, I really couldn't know less about, it's like, I don't even know what to think anymore because that's being portrayed and played in so many different ways. At least though, there is a counter on Potomac in the newest episode where it's like, Chris not looking at this woman, Eddie coming over and smiling, yes. where we yes, yes. all understand in real time, not conversation, what a, thr- what a, um, total uh 360 and how we started the episode but like in terms of online chatter it's not going to be so obviously split in terms of like what actually took place Potomac is telling us by directly countering what Ashley is saying Giselle is saying this woman whose name I've already forgotten is saying with I am saying I was uncomfortable because he was staring at me for 15 minutes and it cuts to him literally not looking at her. And we are placing trust in production that they are not being disingenuous in holding other footage private. You know, if they had that, they'd show it. Which is the problem with Salt Lake because you know there were conversations before they started filming where production was making sure that Heather was safe when they saw her eye. And that is where the level of disingenuous gets to another point where not only is it being disingenuous that we are hypothesizing and putting forth very dangerous accusations and narratives about what may or may not occur, but because production likely knows and aren't and they're not telling us. And there yeah. is that scene of a producer asking Heather what happened and her saying, I don't know, I do know, and I'm withholding it for my safety. And it's like, okay, if we genuinely believe that she 
is fearing for her safety. And I'm, I'm saying this without any critique. If we are believing that, how are we putting that forward as a part of this produced episode with yeah. no counter or pushback? That to me is disingenuous from the part of the network, you know? No, I agree. Being- and also if, if they have that footage of everyone coming into the room and leaving the room that we saw, how is there no footage from that camera of Heather maybe or maybe not getting hit? I mean, I think the problem with the camera footage is like we see that camera footage around like 4.55 a.m. or whatever. But I think that's like I don't remember the setup of her room, but where that plant is and stuff. I think that's in her room's living room area. I don't think it's in her bedroom. I don't know if there was a camera in her bedroom, but regardless of whether or not they have footage someone needs to counter the various narratives that are being expressed or is production just assuming we will push back, which is a level of trust or understanding they have in the audience that I don't think is a safe thing to do because you see what's happening online. I'm thinking of the Bolo trip where Mm. the only footage they had was that like, uh, uh, porch camera, remember, with that mm-hmm. little sliver through, and they went and they're like, "Here's Bolo, here's Portia." You know what I mean? It's like they took just that and filled in all the blanks. Why aren't you going to that living room footage and being like, "Here we hear Heather fall. Here we see Jen still in the room." You know what I mean? Like they're not treating it with the same level of forensic investigation that they handled the bolo for reasons we don't know because we don't know what happened. Apologies to Bolo and all the melons he's fucked, which you guys can see <laughs> online, which I absolutely have. But um, it, th- the stakes are not that high. For a person yes. like yes, Tanya yes. in her marriage, if she did not want this to move forward and didn't want to be on this show as a result because she was concerned about questions of what happened, let alone what actually occurred, those are high stakes for her in her relationship. But Heather is potentially... Heather is quite literally telling us she may be in physical danger. It is what she said the day after or the day of when when this took place. She is expressing to us not only does she need to protect other members of the cast so they don't get in trouble, but she herself does not feel safe. She communicated that in confessionals. She communicated that through the rest of the day. I don't want attention on me. Other, like you can literally go back. This is shocking news to people. The stakes there are so much higher that to be disingenuous in that circumstance is, I think, a violation for some members of viewership who are just like, and this isn't me me saying a harsh critique of Heather. It is it is explaining the circumstances, and I put a lot of blame on that. Heather's not the editor of these show of the of her show. It is out yes. of her hands, which is why some of these women say the same words over and over again, the same insult because they want to make sure that it's included. It's Candace saying yeah. over and over again Sesame Street because she wants to make sure that that mark lands at least once. And with Heather, I think some of this is her being unsure of what she wants to share, her being unsure of what she wants the audience to feel, her being unsure of what she wants the cast to respond and say. But ultimately, some of that has to be framed in a way that feels, I think, appropriate to the stakes. And that's not what's currently happening. Well, and I also feel like there was a moment a few seasons ago on Beverly Hills where there was that whole thing with 
PK and Dorit and the person in the Bahamas yelling at PK, like, yes, why haven't you paid whatever? Major and fans whatever. found yeah. out about it. And and then so the following season, you see the producers and it showed the producers asking the questions like, where's the money coming from? Like, whatever. So that they could say, we asked them these questions and here were their answers. And I feel like they did that a little bit with Heather. But I wanted the producer to be like, no, Heather, like, we really need to fucking know what's going on. You really need to tell. Like, I still feel like when they showed them asking Heather these questions about what really happened, we didn't see them push as hard as I would have want them to push to get the story. And isn't that in its own special way disingenuous? What yeah. we are being yeah. shown in Potomac by production, the way that it is being shown to us is production knows that what some of these women are saying is wrong, that yeah. it is not what happened at the spring fling party. So they're showing us specific footage with LOL lower thirds to say, we are giving you a counter in real time, yeah. which I am sure if I was Eddie or Chris, I'm not loving what's taking place, but I'm really fucking happy that that was included because this is a dangerous narrative to set otherwise, because without that pushback and counter and clear, um, uh, and and clear like pushback from yes. production, we would be in Salt Lake where that is not happening. And to me, again, it's disingenuous to end with like the idea that production doesn't know what took place because if we are dealing with anything close to workplace violence on a cash trip, yeah, for a network owned by like nbc time warner universal bajillion whatever ge washing machines whatever like you yeah. are going to find out what happened so that you are not held liable it's literally an hr issue <laughs> right and right now what's happening is heather is suggesting that members of the cast should be held liable and the episode includes that which is complicated and I hope that Andy does his due diligence. I do want to ask, we got we to gotta wrap, but do you think we will, regardless of what actually took place, do you think that we will find out? Yes. Um, I, that's the question is, I think if Jen hit her and Jen is not at the reunion and is going to prison for a long time, um, that Heather's going to be like, Jen hit me. Um, because, I mean, what does she have to save Jen from anymore. Um, but I mean, I think if it's something else, maybe we won't know. I mean, but what could the other things be that she fell? And that's the other thing is they were so belligerently drunk that even if Jen did hit her, I could see a circumstance in which it was an accident or they were goofing yes, around or, definitely. you know, she fell off the bed and or whatever, Jen reached out to hit her. And I don't know, like drunk people do stupid shit, you know, mm -hmm. like, but now we're just, it's like the, should we talk about the husband? You know, it's like, we're yes. all assuming the worst. Yeah. And, um, uh, who knows? I don't, I don't know how this will resolve itself, but I do think genuinely that we deserve to find out what happened because obviously Heather has said repeatedly she remembers, which is important clarity that she gave. And I also think the rest of the cast deserves to hear what happened 
because yes. it's their cast member who appeared to be potentially the victim of some sort of occurrence that took place. I think it's important for us to get that clarity. I think it would be incredibly disingenuous if we did not. Um, listen, I, we got to wrap, Brian Moylan, because the sooner we wrap, the sooner you get to come back. Um, I do want to close with a question that the shaman in Miami posed. And since it's a first episode in 2023, what do you want to call into your life? this year, Brian? Oh, that's a good question. I would like to call into my life some more productivity in 2023. I love that. Yeah. I think I need to get a little bit more done. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. my I know I joked about not having a New Year's resolution at the top of the episode, but my actual New Year's resolution is to read all of the books on the to be read shelf, like books that I bought that I'm like, Ooh. that I haven't read. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's not that, there, I mean, there's a fair number, but not a ton. So I feel like it's a reasonable goal and, you know. I yeah. think that's great. I think that's great. There are no um, Housewives books, sadly. On, wow. Um, oh no, that's a lie. What remains is on the shelf. Oh. So what remains, I will be taking on what remains at some point this year. If you'd like to have a book club around it, let me know. Yeah. I'd be happy to come okay. on the, on the pod and talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm into that. Um, I think I am going to call in a little bit of consistency, which could oh. work itself out in a variety of stuff and maybe calm. Okay. Which like a lack of calm is not a bad thing, but I think just like a, a calm beginning coming from within so that whatever circumstance that happens, like a little bit of, I don't know, there's about a thousand things I'd like to welcome. Do in, I need I to send to you say. some vegan gluten-free edibles? Would that help? Please. I really, I truly am not, I've never had an edible before, but I really think now is the time. Have I you really ever smoked pot before? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm terrible at it. Yeah. There's some, there's like a whatever lurking somewhere in a little candy. Sometimes they get, you know, we have whatever. It's fine. It looks like, I think I like confused it for something else. It's somewhere in my apartment. I don't want to know what to do. Um, when are we going to get a housewife with an edible slime? Well, Tamara, we have one. Oh, she has edibles or does she just have CBD? Oh, I always confuse, you know what? And I had Bravo, Bravo, Ducking, Bravo on who like explained to me the difference and I've already forgotten. Yeah, <laughs> like THC, CBD, whatever. Someone give me a pop brownie that's vegan, gluten-free and call it a motherfucking day. Honestly. Girl, I am going to go to the dispensary and find you one. I might have to put that shit in the mail, but yes, <laughs> it's legal in New York now. So enjoy. Yay. Can't wait. Um, Listen, speaking of enjoyment, Brian Moylan. Sir Gally. No one I'd rather ring in 2023 with but you you know I have you started you know we're at episode 373 believe it or not you were in I want to say the first dozen or something I really I don't know if that's true as I say it out loud but as I speak it into existence so it will be you were at the very beginning of Andy's Girls you were one of the goals of people that I 
aspired, Aww. dreamed, and hoped to because I have followed you and loved you for so many years. I think you were so incredible. And so for you to come back and always say yes, <laughs> like, asking and begging, um, it means a lot to me because, you know, I, I think of you with a lot of love and enormous, Aww. enormous respect. Same Z's. And I can't wait to for you to ask me again. I'm going to say, no, I'm setting a new intention for yes. 2023, I'm going to say no to you one time. <gasps> no, but only, but if like, let me, let it be for something that I'll start by saying you can say no to this. This is not a must do. <laughs> no, I would never say no. I would never say <laughs> we need to, we need to work on those circumstances. <laughs> Listen, Brian Moylan, tell the people a little bit about the Institute newsletter, where they can follow you on social and just a little elevator pitch of the book we already all own and have read. Um, Yeah, the book is the behind the scenes and history and cultural impact of the Real Housewives franchise. I think it's you can get it on your Kindle for like one ninety nine. So like, girl, give me give me your two dollars already. Um, yes. And then you can find me on all the social media platforms at Brian J. Moylan and uh, though Twitter TBD. And uh, you can sign up <laughs> for my newsletter, the Housewives Institute Bulletin, which comes out every two weeks on Friday. It'll the first one of the year comes out this Friday, the 6th. Um, mm-hmm. You can sign up for that at vulture.com slash housewives. Um, and I'm currently recapping Miami, which goes up on Thursday afternoons and Below Deck Adventure. Mm. This is my first Below Deck recapping. It's harder than I thought. It's way harder than Housewives because not as much happens. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then I'll be doing uh, New Jersey when that starts in February and, you know, all your other um, favorite shows. So, yeah, come on by. I love that, guys. And after you swing by and sign up for the newsletter and buy the book and follow uh, Brian Moylan, wherever he is online, you must immediately go sign up for the Andy's Girls Patreon. It's the number one way to support the pod. I have exclusive bonus episodes up there and so much more, including a one-hour deep dive about all things Salt Lake that feature your thoughts and feels, your satchels of gold, named in honor for holiness, Kelly Clorn Ben Simone, which you can message to me please include your first name and town on instagram after you give me a follow at dame galley it's a one hour satchel spectacular literally recorded new year's eve it was people had intense thoughts and feels literally unpacked over 10 of them it's quite a motherfucking ep so you can find that at patreon dot com just forgot it patreon.com <laughs> slash andy's girls and listen your doppelganger ryan bailey and i are co-hosting a live show online a moment this thursday january 5th at eight o'clock eastern standard time 5 p.m pacific it is exclusive to moment you will not listen be able to listen or hear it anywhere but there and we're going to be predicting some stuff relating to Jen Shaw's sentencing the next day. We're going to talk New Year's resolutions according to Housewives. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can also sign up for a meet and greet with yours truly. You can do a, we're doing an after show that I'll be hosting with some trivia Housewives related. Um, And if you want to win one of my holiday cards, which I'm posting on social this week, 
you better you better work bitch <laughs> you better work bitch i also think i'm gonna do a little holiday card giveaway on ig so look for that if you want to um like brian did uh go to one of your other estates and not actually <laughs> receive the holiday card itself because it was mailed to london and he's currently in la oh i'm so so get those live show tickets at moment.co slash Andy's Girls, $12, 15-day of. That's moment.co slash Andy's Girls, and I'll see you live Thursday. And P.S., if you can't join that night, seven days to watch on demand. Tickets avail. Dame Brian Moylan, just a couple dames disagreeing, but coming dames. together. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Guys, hope you had a great, safe, and healthy start to the new year. And we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye.